You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. Welcome to Guys um, Who Like Musicals. We're here talking to my professional friend, Maurice Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> this is, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, this is a classic example in the Guys Who Like Mu- Musicals universe where this is one of my dear, dear friends. And I, yes. don't, I don't get to nerd out and tell you exactly how I feel about you in real life because it's uncomfortable. Please don't. But be, but because we're on on podcast land, I can say how brilliant I think you are, and how talented, how wonderful, and what a kind and hilarious, amazing human being you are. Oh my God. You have done some ridiculous shows, lifespan of a fact with Daniel Radcliffe, mm. Saint Joan with mm. our friend Condola, Cherry Orchard with Diane mm. Lane, Romeo and Juliet with Legolas. Mm. Julius Caesar with Denzel Washington and mm-hmm. a million off-Broadway shows and TV shows. At least cur- a million. At least a million. Currently, you're teaching at Stella Adler. You're teaching Shakespeare at Stella Adler. So I, I don't know if this conversation is going to add any value to <laughs> our listeners, but for the love of God, I hope so. <laughs> is that okay to say? Based on your, based on your resume? I, I must say that was uh, an illustrious introduction. Uh, I'm so happy to see you. This is incredible. It's a pleasure to to be on here with you fellas. I must say I am a fan of the podcast. No, uh, that no can't way. Be oh, it's the, it's the truth. I unfortunately was a little late to it. I didn't realize that uh, Joe was putting on this podcast with you, Dan, until I saw your interview on Playbill. Checking in with Broadway's Joe Carroll in the pandemic, and it said that you were recording a podcast, and I thought, "What the hell?" <laughs> it made perfect sense, but uh, it just wasn't what I I knew you were up to, and so I instantly headed over and uh, subscribed, and have listened to quite a number of episodes, and I love what you guys do here. It's pretty, it's pretty great. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Thank man. you. So an actor is saying his lines, yeah. and then out of nowhere, he just starts singing. Well, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. For I, I want there's a million things that I want to get to, but the, but I want to talk about the teaching. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the pandemic a little bit mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Where where are you in the world, and and what are you doing with with these folks at Stella Adler? Sure. Um, what a great question. Uh, I, as Joe mentioned, uh, I, I teach Shakespeare scene study at Stella Adler and NYU uh, over there at Tisch School of the Arts. I'm uh, teaching the second year students, and I've been doing it. In fact, we're in the final days of the semester right now. And it was the it crazy. was the crazy. It was it was insane. You know the way it happened. I, like many people, were thrust into this space of uncertainty at the beginning of this pandemic. And perhaps, like many people, I was wondering if it was worth it financially to stay in New York. Was I going to be able to afford rent? Why did I need to be in this crazily expensive city? Is there still space for me in my mother's attic? You know the questions you <laughs> ask yourself. <laughs> And yeah. uh, it, it, it turns out that I had gone uh, to an opening night a few months before the pandemic, and a friend of mine who was the casting director of the show that we saw 
I mentioned to her afterwards that I didn't know how much longer I was perhaps interested in being an actor. And she said, well, what do you think you'd want to do if you weren't acting? And I said, I always thought I'd make a pretty good teacher. And it turns out that she had some connections at Stella Adler, or I should say she knew some people and asked if I wanted to um, use her assistance to get a meeting. And it was just going to be a meeting. And I said, sure, not thinking anything was going to come of it. And I went in uh, to meet with the gentleman about a month later. And, you know, I didn't have a teaching resume. I had no teaching experience. I really expected nothing to come out of it at all. I knew there were more people who were more qualified than I was. But I left the meeting thinking that I was just doing my friend a favor. Um, and so imagine my surprise when the following month, we're a couple of weeks into the pandemic, I get a phone call. Hey, we remembered meeting you last month and how much you loved uh, Shakespeare. And we loved the way you talked about Shakespeare. How would you like to come in and cover two classes for one of our teacher who's out sick? It was just supposed to be a couple of weeks. And I thought, you know, I was panicked, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, it wasn't like teaching little kids, you know, these mm -hmm. are grown ass actors, some of which my biggest fear was that they would know more than me. And then, you know, the right. imposter syndrome would, would really set in. Mm -hmm. But I thought, what the hell, I'll do two weeks of classes in and out. Long story short, I do the two weeks, they go incredibly well. I'm, my confidence is bolstered. At the end of uh, my final class, the head of the program happened to be observing on Zoom. And he saw how well the students were responding to me and how they all expressed an interest to have me back. He gave me a call right after that class, offered me six more weeks of work with another group of students. Those uh, weeks of work went really well. Then they called me and uh, asked if I wanted to teach for them over the summer at the conservatory. And then they asked if I wanted to direct at the conservatory. And then at the end of the summer, they asked if I wouldn't to uh, join them on faculty at Adler and NYU. And in that insane, quick whirlwind, I went from being a broke, unemployed, confused actor to a college professor. <laughs> That's to a college Mr. professor. Mr. Jones to you, That's Joe. Professor Jones. <laughs> exactly. I make my students call me Professor Jones. Yes. Time time. I know. Wouldn't yes. I would too. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you His life goal is Professor Carroll. Is it really, Joe? It's not. No, it's not. No, no I mean, it's not. I don't know. But but Professor, I, I actually meant to start the the interview and be like, welcome, Professor Jones, but I screwed uh, it up. That's okay. so wild. Um, yeah. But teaching, like when we caught up a couple of weeks ago, you were saying that teaching was was kind of, it was always in your in your ether a little bit, in your in the back of your head, like it was something you wanted to do. Yeah, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to have some wonderful teachers uh, in my time. And when I was in college, I was an RA or a residence advisor, you know, those people who break up the parties in the <laughs> dorm room, because I, I, just, I don't know what it is, man. I always had this thing in me where I wanted to be a figure, an educational figure or an authoritative figure. A leader. Or some kind of inspirational yeah. lead. Yeah, that yeah. Was just, yeah, that was always sort of inside of me. In that, in that way. And so when I went and got my MFA, uh, which certainly made me a better actor, I was always aware that it would equip me to teach one day if I ever did want to. Um, and so I had always been thinking about it. Will I ever teach? Can I teach? What kind of teacher will I be? These questions were burning, but I, uh, you know, very fortunately was carving out a lovely career as an actor. And so it was never really pushed to the front of my mind. 
until the pandemic when many of us had to sort of really confront what other things we could do or other things we were good at mm-hmm. or other things we yeah. could see ourselves doing. And, right. um, right. you know, I, I would have tried to pursue this opportunity on my own, certainly, but I was really fortunate that I just so happened to have that evening of drinks with my friend who was a casting director who used to work at Stella Adler and those pieces beautifully and magically lined up. And I got to tell you, I really surprise myself every time I say it, but I absolutely love teaching. I truly believe that it is my second calling. And for a long time, I sort of rejected that notion because I foolishly was only making space for that kind of thing to be occupied by acting and by my artistry. And a dear friend of mine reminded me beautifully one day, she said, you know, you can have two callings. Mm. And I hadn't Mm. really thought of it that way. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And once I accepted that reality, I stepped the further front foot into my teaching. And, you know, it's a lot of work and it's, it's, it can be maddening and frustrating at times in the world of academia and, you know, administrative shortcomings and foibles, but, to work with my kids and to see them grow and progress and have those moments yeah. where it clicks when, and when they, they get, get it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, there's nothing like it, man. And to do it doing Shakespeare is incredible. As someone who has always loved Shakespeare and always had uh, a wonderful appreciation and a penchant for it, and to be a black male Shakespeare teacher is not lost on me at all. I know that there are a few people who can say that and this isn't me trying to cash in on the cachet but i understand the value of having someone as a teacher who reflects your experience Mm -hmm. who looks like you Mm -hmm. and i have i've humbly had several messages come to me from students saying that they didn't know that they'd be able to receive this kind of information unless Mm -hmm. it came from someone who looked like them and totally that is incredibly rewarding and it, it makes this all the more enriching and important. And I'm so thrilled to be a proud to be a part of it. And you know, I'm still an actor through and through, but uh I'm really quite determined, especially until the world opens all the way back up, to maybe just ride this until the wheels fall off and see how far it'll take me. So you said amazing. you said at a point that that when you had this conversation with this woman and obviously everything was pushed because of the pandemic. I think Joe and I have recognized that we've been pushed into things we never would have thought of either. You were saying sure. you were kind of feeling fed up with being an actor or like you weren't sure about acting for you yeah, at that time. Yeah. What was that about? What, what, oh, what was it? This is a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 the truth of it is, and I always sort of want to punch myself in the face when I say it, because what we do as actors what we've been fortunate or lucky or blessed or successful enough to do is not an easy thing. And there's many people who don't even have the gumption and the courage to move to a city like New York to give it a try. Mm -hmm. And for all intents and purposes, Dan, I am uh, quite a successful actor. I I work, dare I say, all the time. But even in, in spite of that, there are so many moments when I'm like, I suppose I can get in my own head, as many of us do. Will this last? Is this going to be my last job? Mm. Or always aware that this job is going to end, and then I don't really know how I'll pay rent in three months. 
Right. And those it's, things right, can right. bog you down, you know? And I just have, over the last few years since living in New York and being successful, I always get, I confront that wall of, is this too good to be true? This is going to end at some point. Am I just doing this for the paycheck? Is my heart even still in it? And I just found myself at many times just wanting some perhaps more financial stability is what a lot of it came down to. Mm -hmm. You know, I was tired of, you know, you live paycheck to paycheck so often and each audition is another time you have to prove yourself over and Mm -hmm. over again and start from the bottom essentially. And it can be quite draining, especially if you don't have other things gathering your attention or pouring your energy into. And as someone who was working quite a lot, it was really only acting all the time. I wasn't really giving myself outlets otherwise. And so it became, at a point, kind of a desperation. And mm. I, it was, I, I, I hit a spate of doing a few shows in a row that I, I knew I didn't want to do. Mm. And I, wasn't, I didn't love the script. I didn't love the people. And I was just like, but I got to pay rent because I've right. chosen to be an actor and this is what I'm going to do. And just those moments were just piling up over the years. And I just thought... I always thought to myself, and it was always told to me as a young student, if there's something else that you can see yourself doing, <laughs> they would deter us by saying, do that other thing. And that always just kind of nagged at my head because I never believed there would be something else. But being in the thick of it and realizing how high the incredible highs are, but how you know low those lows can be, I thought, yeah. you know, maybe I just... Not to quit or be done, but maybe this is a chapter of my life that I can, you know, turn the page on. Mm. I knew that yeah. I'd done some wonderful things. As Joe said, I've worked with some great people. And it, it, it wouldn't be a loss to say, you know what? That was great. That was fun. I succeeded at that. What else is there for me out there is really what it came down to. Mm. Well, I, I always, I love just back to what you're saying, though, about this, this thing that happens in acting school when they always say, if you can do if you can do anything else go do it sure i've always i've always hated that because there's 10,000 things that i could do sure but it's the choice when the choice comes up i'm choosing to do something else as opposed to i have to mm-hmm. you know because then you're stuck in that desperation cycle where it's like you didn't have to go be a teacher you chose to pursue this path. I mean, somebody at Stella Adler could have called and you would have been like, no, I'm actually, I, I want to go, I'm not going to do that. Like, it's not like you were just kind of led to it. Like, you're so bright. And I think so many of us as artists have so much more to offer that it's like we're choosing to do something else. Yeah. Not like, if you can do it, something else, go do it. It's like, well, that's, no, I'm choosing to be an actor. And I think I that, choose every day to be an that actor. That puts us into this position where we're always in a place of desperation. We're always yeah. in a in a we're always in a mode where we recognize that we are replaceable, and that we should be desperate. As opposed to what I'm trying to get everybody to do is like do all of the things that you do and be an actor. Yeah, right? there are yeah, certain yeah. things you can't do, but like, you know, my my girlfriend is working with a guy who has his MFA in acting, and he works in sales for a very popular software company. And he was just on an episode of Elementary, or or uh, Elementary's not on anymore. But like yeah. he just yeah. uh, e- the Equalizer, or whatever. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He was just on an episode. He just did it, and I'm like, he has a full time job as a salesperson. <laughs> well, and with you know? NYU too. Like I, I always was jealous of the kids who went to NYU because their professors are working. Mm, like you right. know, like y'all are in 
the shit. You were at the you were at the absolute top of your career. And you said, you know what? Yes, there was a pandemic, but you were starting to think about teaching. And now you're giving these kids this experience that like you you literally you walked off stage. I don't know what you did at the end of uh, what the last thing you did was. But what was the last thing you did before the pandemic? What the was last the... thing I did before the pandemic was an off-Broadway play at the Armory mm, called, okay. called Judgment Day, which is this really cool like Austrian expressionistic play. Cool. Like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It, oh, yeah. the greatest space. Yeah, massive. I've done event. Like, I did a. There was like a. Did you fashion there, Dan? show there? Yeah, no. It was <laughs> oh like, yeah, that sounds right. Usher yeah. performed or something. It was crazy. Beyonce <laughs> right. was there. It was a. Yeah. Um. It was like a Prada show or something crazy. Oh my god. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the coolest, one of the coolest production off Broadway productions, and then and then you're walking into the classroom, right? You know, you're choosing to walk into the classroom, which I think these kids, these kids don't realize how lucky they are to be learning Shakespeare from you. Maybe they do. And I said this when I hope they do, because I, I want to come back. I really want to like selfishly. I mean, this is a tangent, Dan, if you don't mind. But like, what are you what are you teaching them right now in Shakespeare? Like, what do I, I want to know? I don't mind. I know that I can't get up and do a, a monologue for you over, uh, you know, over this oh, podcast. But like, yes, I want to know. I think, I think I Joe's know. MFA bug is itching him. I think he's like, <laughs> do I want to go study Shakespeare somewhere? Am I like I've itching all, that's for this? All I've all, that's all I've ever wanted to do, man. I look at I, your I look at your resume and I'm like, wow, Joe wishes he he was doing all of these plays, man, forever. I've been, I am so, that's another thing I can say because we're on the podcast. I've been so jealous of your career, Maurice, in this way that like, it is just stunning. It, look at the, the play. So what are you teaching the kids? What are you teaching them? Okay, we're going to put a pin in this and I'm going to come back to how <laughs> jealous I am of your career. I still have the, I still have the message saved on my phone when, when, when I booked Cinderella. Yes. And you called me. I still have it saved on my phone, and it's just you laughing. It's just yes. you laughing into the phone. I remember saying, that, Joe. "What the hell, Prince Charming?" The, and you're I laughing was, over and over and over. <laughs> I was at the movie theater bro, <laughs> when I saw that man, and I was so giddy and so happy for you. Forget the pin. I'm taking the pin out. We're going right here. No, because shit. you are someone who you know. We met doing Shakespeare. We met doing Shakespeare which was an incredible opportunity for both of us. We were both, you know, lowly peons in the show, but we were understudying some meaty parts. You meatier than right. I, understudying uh, Romeo. And it's one of the great regrets of my life that I never got to see you go on and do it. Me too. Uh, at least in front of 1,100 people. I saw you do it every Thursday morning at our little <laughs> you know, understudy rehearsal. But, you know, here was this handsome, young, talented guy who was like, oh, hey, I'm Joe. Oh, cool. Oh, you know, I got to go over to my other Broadway show tonight because I'm also doing once a new musical at the <laughs> same time. And first of all, you were living that double-dipping dream Goals. that so many act... At 22. Capital G. At 22, Joseph. At all downhill from there. <laughs> that was all done. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember talking to you and particularly Tony Winner, now Jane Howdy Shell, who was in that show with us, yep. about how I wish that I could do musicals in mm. New York. And Jane was like, why don't you do them? And I was like, I told her two things. First of all, I didn't graduate from one of these fancy programs like Joe did at Michigan, where I felt like that kind of thing was in my way. 
Mm. Are you wearing a Michigan hat as well, Dan? We went to oh, look together. at that. Both of you. Oh, look at that. So you both know. And then I was telling Jane, I also don't read music. Mm. And Jane immediately dismissed that. She said, neither do I. Mm-hmm. You just learn the tune and you tell the truth at it. But I just always knew that your upshot, Joe, was so high and your ceiling was so high because you had just recently graduated and were on your second Broadway show. It was no surprise to me when Cinderella came along and I saw you in that show and I was so incredibly pleased and proud and moved. And then I saw you, you did this concert at, what was that venue? That big venue on 27th Street where the McKittrick is. Uh, I don't know. Standard? Uh, no. Um, oh. Uh, Somewhere over there, you were, sub- yeah. you, were, you were either playing with Paul Nolan or you were there in celebration of him or something. Seeing you rock out on that stage, you were a rock oh, star. It was, um, it was, uh, it was the, um, uh, yeah, it was the farewell concert that we did with, oh my God, his name's escaped. He played the guy in once. He was the British dude. Uh, Arthur Darville. Arthur Darville. Arthur, yes. Arthur yes. Darville yes. was doing, was, it was a going away show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Seeing yep. you up there rocking that guitar. And then when Frozen came along, it was just like, of course, in the most beautiful way. Of course, because that's what's next for you because this is who you are. And at the same time, as proud as I was, and as happy for you as I was, I was like, man, I wish I had those gifts or that set of, what does Liam Neeson say? A particular set of- uh, Skills. skills. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I always had your particular set of skills. And uh, that's something I was always uh, in awe of. And and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know? Well, I sit here doing the same thing. I mean, it's, it's just St. Joan and, uh, and all of the Shakespeare. I mean, when I saw you in Troilus and Cressida and you're uh, up, yeah. you know, like in the park, like that's the dream. Like that's mm. the actual, anyway, I like, we could go back and forth and sure, Dan's going to like, Dan, Dan could go get a cup of coffee. No, but my thought no. here for everyone <laughs> listening is that like, this is a mirror for what we all do to each other in life. Like, mm. because I want to have pieces of what both of you have. And this is just a good reminder that each of us needs to remind ourselves that somebody wishes they had what we have. That's beautiful. That's true. And you got to be grateful. Because you gotta be grateful. Yeah. You know, exactly there have right. been I've had many conversations with Joe where he's where where we've had conversations with each other where we're not necessarily grateful for what we have. And this I think is a good reminder of like, oh right. You're hundred percent right. Our That's own great. journeys ours right. and whatever, you know? You're hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah, I wanna yeah. know I wanna know what you're teaching the kids. Great. If that's okay. <laughs> sure, yeah. I I currently am the Shakespeare scene study teacher uh, for the second year students at Tisch, uh, Stella School, Stella Adler School of Acting, as well as the Stella Adler Standalone Conservatory, where I teach the first years, the second years, and the third years, uh, all Shakespeare, all scene study. So they are coming to me, in some cases, having learned voice and speech, as it were, verse and text, and they get to me, and I am essentially driving them toward how to tell the truth on stage with this language. Mm. The way I tailor my curriculum toward that is by making sure that these students in the 21st century know that they don't have to do Shakespeare from the 16th century. Right. And so many young people don't realize that. This is also a big goal of mine 
with another workshop that I teach at Adler, which is a workshop for students of color to learn Shakespeare or to work on Shakespeare. So often Shakespeare has this <clears throat> unfortunately archaic representation or rather reputation of being old and stuffy and ancient mm -hmm. and British and that there needs to therefore be something prim and proper about it. Mm. And I can't stand that, to be perfectly honest with you. And so I institute an exercise, which I'm sure I haven't originated this, but as far as I go with my own pedagogy and curriculum, I made it up. Where I have them take a monologue of their own choosing, garner an understanding of it, and then I want them to completely throw that out. And I have them rewrite the monologue rewrite the speech entirely in their own voice. Yes. I encourage mm -hmm. them to use their own slang, to use their own phrases and sayings, to use mm -hmm. their own language for many of my students for whom English is not a first language, mm. to use colloquialisms and profanity. You are now the playwright of this play that you created, and there's a character named, I don't know, Hamlet, and you wrote this. <laughs> And in this moment, in the middle of this play you wrote, Hamlet is confronting this decision about whether or not to live or die, to stay or to go. How would you write that at a coffee shop in Harlem in 2021 right. if this was a brand new play? And they do that. And they love doing that. It, they, they feel this ownership of it because it's suddenly their expression. And it's their language and it's their understanding, which is exactly where I want them to go with it. Because then the next part of that is, okay, now I want you to take your rewritten speech and I want you to take the Shakespeare speech and I want you to create what I call a blended speech by which you weave your thoughts back into Shakespeare's thoughts, back into yours, back into Shakespeare's, creating one cohesive through line of the speech and also creating one voice between your own and Shakespeare. And they really get into that, and they are achieving a symbiosis by which you don't tell where their work and Shakespeare's work end or begin. And then I have them take all of that beautiful, precious, idiosyncratic expression and apply it to Shakespeare's words. You now have mm. a deeper meaning and understanding of it. You've brought it closer to yourself, personalized it. Now put all of that understanding into this language. And suddenly, and this isn't the case 100% of the time, but it's quite successful. They realize, oh, not only do I understand this more than I thought I did, but I don't have to put on some affect when I'm saying it. And I don't mm -hmm. have to roll my R's. And I don't <laughs> mm -hmm. have to pretend right. to inexplicably become a British person. No, you don't. And it's in fact more thrilling and more honest when you don't. Mm -hmm. Shakespeare has done all of that work. The characters exist. These words, these worlds, the stakes are already there. We want to see you in it. And only by you doing that, talking to my students, can you perform this for a group of people who look like you and have them go, oh, I didn't understand every word Romeo said, but I understand what Romeo is going through. Right. And I understand what Romeo is feeling because you made me recognize it. You hooked me into it and you made me realize, oh, man, 
Juliet is just like Keisha Johnson sitting down the hall from me right now. I look at her all the time, like Romeo's looking at her in that balcony. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I really seek to eliminate this divide, mm-hmm. this alienating, frustrating, often Eurocentric divide mm. that can always threaten to present itself and create a disinterest in young people and this work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a slow trudge. Sometimes some students get it more than others, but... I finished one of my NYU classes today and the progress they made over this year, three scenes each they did. It's like, it's like night and day, mm-hmm. which is not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm, I'm yeah. opening them up to an understanding that you don't have to change too much about yourself in order to bring yourself and your truth to this work. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what so I have interesting. I feel like we that's don't amazing. have that tradition of that in this country. Yeah. You know, mm. I don't know yeah. why we think it's supposed to happen in this way, but when you watch the great contemporary Shakespeare actors in Europe, it doesn't feel disconnected from what it is now, you know? And I, I was fortunate when I was in high school that my drama teacher there was, he used the No Fear Shakespeare, sure, which was already, this, this same work done for you, which yeah. doesn't really get personalized and specific enough, but does make it no. seem accessible. And then kind of opens that all up to you as well. Um, I think it's. I think the way you do this is like also like write that down, take it home, and share it with your friends because like <laughs> that's got to be the best way I've ever heard it described. And I wish I'd used that in my own work. I'm so pleased to hear you say that. Yeah, it's that's it's, genius. It's it's just such a beautiful way in to the language, and that's the thing. You know, when we eliminate that first barrier, because to to a lot of people, this is like a foreign language. It might right, as well right. be. Right. So many of these words we don't use. We don't know what they mean. We don't understand them. And they sound silly coming out of our mouths. Right. But if I know that my phi means shit, then I can activate my phi to mean shit. I did this exercise just last week with a student who was working on a speech of Edmonds and King Lear. And in the speech, uh, he's saying it's, you know, why bastard? Wherefore base? And uh, he changed base, which is a word we don't really use. In his rewrite, he wrote, wherefore, bitch ass. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was silly, and I, he might have done it in jest. But in order to find that personalization, that way into this word that we don't have a connection to, when he got back to the Shakespeare and you heard him hit that B and hold on to that S, you might not know what base means, but you were like, oh, he's talking about bitch ass. <laughs> that's it i get that i get that <laughs> i love it man. i love it <laughs> oh that's amazing i've always i think everybody has a little bit of imposter syndrome with shakespeare because it's so high and 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 mighty um but my i'll just tell the story quickly because Great, I, yeah. I need to out myself so I studied Shakespeare in London for a semester in college. While I was in London, I saw uh, Romeo and Juliet at the RSC. And it was this very cool, dark... It was kind of like, no offense to our production, it was kind of like everything that our production kind of wanted to be. Like, it was like leather and <laughs> fire and sex and shit. Ooh, yeah. Anyway, so um, <laughs> at the beginning of the... At the beginning of, um, you know, What Light Through Yonder, Window Breaks, the guy who's playing Romeo 
is stands on stage and he looks, you know, the the Mercutio and, and Benvolio come out, they're like talking, they're kind of like ribbing each other, whatever, and then those two walk off stage and Romeo looks at the, the, the audience and says, he jests at scars that never felt a wound. Mm-hmm. And then a light turns on and he looks up at the light and he goes, what light through yonder window breaks? And he runs off the stage, jumps into the audience and hides behind a patron in the audience. Great. Waits, comes back out and says, Oh, it is my lady. It is my love. And I was like, holy shit. What light through yonder window breaks is not some guy like pining at the base of a window for a woman. Dude's about to get killed. Yes. The light would just yeah. turned on That's and right. he is in a, he's in an enemy. He's in enemy territory. He's about to get murdered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. that means. So I, st- I stole that. I, I stole that choice and I did it in my audition room for JV Mercanti and he gave me the job. Wow. So I stole, I literally stole it from this other guy and did it, and I have never done another Shakespeare play. So <laughs> you gotta see more so, Shakespeare so you can steal more shit, Joe. I just gotta steal more shit. <laughs> that's but, what we learned today. That's what we learned today. But that's so that's so important, and I'm glad you said that because the thing I always harp on with my students is the justification of the language. Because right. it's so easy to look at a speech and want to just wax poetic and take that back-footed approach and let the language wash over you. But that's boring. When you activate the language as a choice in that way, putting yourself in action, it springs to life. I talk to my students about the difference between reciting Shakespeare and igniting Shakespeare. And choices like that are what ignites the language. It's not just you parking and barking and just saying something. You are saying it because something is happening and you're responding to it mm-hmm. in that real time and in that real way. And I bet you that's a lot closer to how Shakespeare envisioned it being done totally. than what we so often you know, do with it, which is just not that interesting. I'm so glad to hear you say yeah. that. That's great. Well, I just needed to, I needed to out myself in front of the professor. <laughs> um, Listen, I, we I, have to steal. I love that. We got to steal. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just, you know, I, I want to do a deep dive on one of your projects. We always, we ask people about this stuff. And I, I would love for you to choose if there's something that, like a, a process, I mean, you've worked with some amazing people. I mean, Julius Caesar with Denzel and and obviously we, we rattled them off at the beginning of the episode, but, you know. I don't want to say like who's your favorite celebrity and why, but um, but like what is your favorite? Well, like is there a is there a story something that that comes to mind as far you know crazy auditions, crazy you know really meaningful process that you went through to get to a uh, a show? Yeah, you know I I, I suppose uh, the one that comes to mind is my my Broadway debut, uh, which happened at the age of twenty. Uh, and happened in the middle of my undergrad at Rutgers University. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this was quite seminal is because, and I always sound like an asshole saying this, I apologize to anyone listening who was out there (laughs) struggling and striving. Believe me, it's not lost on me. But that was the second audition that I had ever gone on in my life. Mm -hmm. First Broadway audition I ever had. I had just declared myself a theater major about seven months before that. Mm-hmm. And then here comes this opportunity to sign a Broadway contract. Mm-hmm. And in an instant, seemingly, it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. 
I had five auditions for that show. Whoa. And because it was very early on in my professional career, I thought that was normal. I had nothing else to compare it to. They kept calling me back and there were more people in the room. And I was like, okay, don't know who all these people are, but that's weird. And then they kept wanting to see different things. And you would have been a little proud of me, Joe. My character in the show was supposed to play the guitar. And so my first two auditions were sans guitar. And then suddenly they were mm -hmm. like, come back and bring a guitar and a song. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, I was freaking out. Never picked a thing up a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single time. And here was this Broadway contract hinging on it. Fortunately for me, my dad played the guitar. Nice. Plays the guitar. And he was able to teach me uh, My Girl by The Temptations. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. I mean, so I, <laughs> I, I go in for Tony winner Dan Sullivan. Yes. And uh, Dan Swee over there at Lincoln Center. And yep. Dan, Dan Moses Shire, sound director extraordinaire. And I'm playing my little Temptations tune thinking this is not going to, this, this ain't it. This isn't going to get it done. <laughs> Imposter syndrome set in. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. right. See, I don't know what I'm doing. My fingers were sweating. I was slipping all over the place. Um, and then I had another audition after that. All the while, I'm in classes in New Jersey at Rutgers, wondering what's happening in New York at the same time. It was such a crazy experience. And ultimately, they called me and said that they were going to offer me the part. And there was something that was so beautifully validating about that, especially having just declared myself a theater major, deciding to go into this unknown thing. Yeah. I know that my, my parents surely breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, I don't think it was very easy for them to hear, Mom and Dad, I think I want to try to be an actor. But, you know, just a few months later, here was a Broadway show, and I, it was probably relieving for them although they knew it was a life of uncertainty ahead but in that moment it was just really beautiful and working with Dan Sullivan on that show with whom I've now worked three times was really incredible and as you said Denzel Washington played Brutus in that dear friend of mine with whom I was just uh emailing today Jessica Hecht was mm -hmm. in that show um just some incredible heavy hitters of, of Shakespeare Bill Sadler and Jackie Antaramian and Colm Fior, who is a giant of the Canadian Shakespearean theater, and Eamon Walker, um, who played Mark Antony, and, uh, you know, veterans of the stage, Peter J. Fernandez and Ty Jones and Henry Rwanitz, Patrick Page, mm. um, who is a friend of mine now and someone I knew from the second I heard him open that deep, resonant voice. Mm -hmm. That this was somebody I was going to need to follow. Yeah. <laughs> did you see the thing, yeah. the, the villains, the villains show that he just did? I did. Did you I hear did. about this? Of course. Oh of my course. Gosh. I shared it with all my students. <laughs> Man, what a what a great Shakespearean he is, and he has yeah. mastered the villain, just oh. mastered it. It's like water to him. But that was just an That's incredible so cool. opportunity. You know, looking back, I I would honestly hate to go back and watch that production because I mm. truly, and I'm not being humble. I don't think I was any good in that. <laughs> I had taken one basic acting class at that point um, and never done any Shakespeare. Uh, so I, I don't think it was the strongest work I'd ever done, but it did light a fire under me because it showed me that this thing, 
which can so easily seem to be unreachable and intangible, is actually very haveable. And yeah, I, yeah. I have enough to know that I can do this. And if I can do it once, I'm willing to bet I can do it again. And so I've just been moving toward that and that pursuit of that ever since then. I owe the entire pursuit of my career to being able to have done that show with that cast and learning what I learned from Dan Sullivan and Denzel Washington. Just phenomenal. Absolutely wow. phenomenal. And in that pursuit, Crazy. in that direction now, and you, in, in you, all the way up to now, what's been your greatest challenge? My greatest challenge has been keeping it going, man. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the drive is always there, but they don't teach you as a BA at Rutgers how hard it is. They don't teach you about the business of acting. They don't teach you about the ugly side of it and the typecasting and the pigeonholing and the, you know, what producers talk about in dark rooms and, you know, the Scott Rudens of it all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been hard because I had this really idyllic idea about acting. It was very romanticized for me in that way. And I had this wonderful first entryway into it. And it was all lilies and flowers and waterfalls, man. And Denzel but, Washington. And Denzel Washington. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's all going to be this like is, this? This is it. Great. This is it. That's what it felt like. This <laughs> right. must be what it's always like. You know, but I, I just wasn't prepared for the trudge right. ahead and how much you would have to keep restarting. And that's not everyone's case, you know. For some people, it takes one show and then you're off and running. But mm. that hasn't yet been the case for me and it hasn't deterred me. But the grind of it, um, Dan, mm. has been the real challenge for it. You know what I mean? Sustaining, mm -hmm. uh, sustaining, keeping, keeping that flame lit because this city and this mm -hmm. industry so often threatens to diminish that flame. And yeah. uh, that's, been, that's been something that I've been dealing with. And I, I don't think I'll ever stop dealing with it. Right. I don't yeah. think I'll ever stop. Yeah. You well, know, it's, you, it's you, not a meritocracy. It's not, man. It's not, and I, you, you it's learn not up that. to us. And you don't yeah. know that until you learn that. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then people more successful than you say it, and you're like, yeah, sure. It's exactly. not going to happen, but not to me. To me. Yeah. yeah, right. That was exactly the that was the blessing right. and the curse of University of Michigan, mm. is that they don't bring in the actors who aren't the big stars. You don't talk to them, uh, so you all sit there and you're like, "I'm going to do that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, every every single one, That's everybody's going to be everybody's going to be Gavin Creel, right? Yeah. And then and then you, we talked to Gavin Creel, and he's sure. like, "Yeah, I didn't I didn't work for three years," you know. And but he's like, like, "I don't know what the fuck I'm doing." I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> you know, but 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 that that's never in the in the Q and A. No. You know, like right. I mean, and we talk about we've talked to so many people on this show. We love the 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 paycheck to paycheck actor, the blue collar actor, the person the person who's just stringing together a career of incredibly, you know, of incredible work. Yeah. But like. It's hard, like you said. I mean, it's and it I was I was gonna say that yeah. in the beginning, like that 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 you have had this resume to work on these prestigious productions, and are talking about living paycheck to paycheck. In yeah. my opinion, is offensive. That should not be the case in a developed country mm. with 
an industry like ours, it does not make any sense to me that we don't support live theater. It Obviously, I have a podcast about freaking Broadway, so <laughs> that's going to be my opinion. And nobody listening to this thinks that that's a surprise, but like, it still baffles me that that we can't figure this out and do something about it, that people in our industry don't make a living doing what you've done, doing some of the greatest plays that have existed in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, what, what, what else strikes me as important there, you know, I, um, I've been invited to speak as a speaker at a program at Rutgers called the Rutgers Summer Acting Conservatory. It's a boot camp style training program for high school actors. And I've been either a worker and speaker there since 2006, up until surely the call is going to come any moment because it starts on July 1st and they're going to ask me to speak. And watching the way my conversation has changed over the years to these kids yeah, is so fascinating to me to the point where year after year, recently, I tell them, listen, I don't think you want me to come and talk to these kids. I really don't. I'm not the inspirational young buck that I was 15 years ago when I said, kids, so glad you're here. Look at your shining faces. Whatever you put your mind to, you can do it. This is great. Go forth. Last year, I said, kids, listen. I'm broke. I'm tired. You don't want to do this. You know what I mean? And I don't get that blunt, but my message gets more and more honest. Right. You know, this, this business yeah. is not very kind to actors in many ways. And um, so many young kids, like maybe you both did, and certainly I did, had this grand idea about mm -hmm. it. And this idea that if I just work hard enough, then I'll earn it. And because I'm the hardest worker, it'll come to me. And... It's just business that doesn't give that back to you. Mm -hmm. It right. doesn't give that back to you. And it's, it's hard. It's a hard, hard thing to accept. And yet here we all are still doing yeah. it mm -hmm. and still yeah. trying to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're about to open this thing back up. And aside from being a little apprehensive and reticent and nervous, I'm jumping for joy at the same time because it feels like my life is coming back a little bit right. or the possibility of it. I've staked so much in it. Yeah. That's interesting. The possibility of life coming back, mm -hmm. I think is it's like, it's to just have it gone for so long has felt like this part of you. I almost, I was saying this to Alex the other day that like, once the theater starts to come, starts to reopen, and we can sit next to each other and sneeze next to each other again, then I then I feel like we can start to have those conversations about like, do I actually want to be here? Do mm -hmm. I actually want to like, you know, do you know like the conversations I was having in the winter of of twenty twenty? Sure, it's like we'll go back to having those conversations, and now we can start to move forward. My my thought there is that. This thing is a drug. Mm. It is a drug. Live it's theater, getting up there and holding the attention of a thousand people in your damn palm is a drug. And we are all addicts. Absolutely. And we, <laughs> I will never be able to, to fix, to get rid of that. I will, get, I will find it somewhere else is the mm -hmm. only solution. If I can Absolutely. become like a public speaker and people care what I have to say in front of 3,000 people, then maybe 
maybe that would feed it, but sure. I'm not sure that it would. Well, uh, one thing, Maurice, about the teaching, we just Dan and I just helped the uh, a bunch of students with their showcases. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. As they're moving to New York and whatever. And my friend Jeff is a teacher, acting teacher at Michigan right now. And we were talking about that, like, you are, and, and same with Shakespeare, you are embedded in a Shakespeare cl- teaching curriculum that is so much more artistic than the grind of trying to get another guest star, I would say. And it is that, like, you know, when you look to the, you know, the grass is always greener and we always want what each other have or whatever, but, like, just that that you, you're in this this space of art probably more so than... Maybe you would be if you were trying to get another guest star on yeah, the I would, fight or something. I don't know. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. There's something that always feels a little temporary about grinding out guest stars or bouncing from off-Broadway contract to off-Broadway contract, whereas I feel like the impact that I'm in a position to make with these students is going to last a lifetime. Right. And there's something... Great about that. You know, I was just having, I had a, um, I was recording an audition today with my good friend and it was for a series regular and I'm doing the, the, the sick. scene. Sick. <laughs> Hope you book, bro. It'll, it'll, yeah. It'll be sick if I book it. <laughs> but like I'm doing the scene and I do it a couple times and she offers me a piece of simple, beautiful advice. And the moment she said it, I thought to myself, of course. I, I knew that, I know that, and I, I'm always aware that it's the kind of thing, because I surround myself with competent, confident, smart actors who I call on to be uh, a reader for me, and I'm adding both of you to my stable. In, by the way. In, a million Absolutely in. But it's those things where, like, the things she told me is like, that's exactly the first thing I would have told my students if right. I was teaching, if right. I was working on this scene. But for some reason, when I'm on this side, I can easily lose track of it or lose sight right. of it in pursuit right. of putting together a quick finished product of something. But when I'm in teacher mode, there's something that's more embedded and dropped down into what it is that I'm doing and what I'm talking about and how to make it ripple and reverberate and last. And I think uh, being in that's this position awesome. to, to inspire artistry and to nurture it and to foster creativity is going to last longer in the annals of my history mm-hmm. than any guest star that I'll do with a shared card at the top of show in which I get shot dead <laughs> anyway. <laughs> because sometimes acting yeah. feels like it's about, sometimes it feels like acting serves yourself and not necessarily the collective whole as much as what you're doing right now must feel like you're serving the greater good. Yeah. Um, it's easier yeah. to be of service as a teacher, I think. It's hard it's harder to be of service as an actor sometimes. Mm, you can I make like that it. work, but you know, it's harder. Sometimes I'm like, wait, why am I doing this? Is this for me only? Mm-hmm. Is anybody else benefiting from what I'm doing? Joe has a good head about that because he always imagines the kid in the front row who's never seen a show before yeah. and you've just opened their mind to something. But it's easy to forget that. Mm, yeah. Um what is your, uh, do you have a, like a resource or, you know, Mr. Professor, do you have a resource or a book or some place where people can find knowledge that you would oh, wow. recommend to people that maybe changed your life or could change theirs? 
or is not that much sure. pressure and is just something that you enjoy, like something you escape to. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I am a huge lover of poetry. Um, I particularly mm -hmm. enjoy uh, the works of the Sufi poets Hafiz and Rumi, who often do provide mm -hmm. me guidance and mm -hmm. inspiration that transcends into acting quite a lot. Uh, I recently uh, discovered Jim Shapiro's incredible book, uh, Shakespeare in a Divided America, which is great. I'm actually going to be interviewing mm. uh, Jim for the Summer Shakespeare Conservatory at Stella Adler, and it's a great book about um, the role that Shakespeare has played in racial division in this country and racial unity in this country, and he talks at length about the public theater's production of Julius Caesar a few years ago, which was the Trump Caesar, mm -hmm. which was quite an interesting and harrowing experience. Mm -hmm. um, say what you will about the man. I particularly enjoyed David Mamet's book on acting called True or False. <laughs> True or yeah. False. I was actually sharing the yep. tenets of it just yesterday with my students. You know, he breaks it down in that book. Know the words, know what they mean, mean them when you say them. And I happen to think that that's exactly true. Mm -hmm. um, and then I uh, recently, and this was the inspiration for the class that I was able to create at Adler for Actors of Color, uh, found the last copy on Amazon of a book which I was told about by Tony winner Andre DeShields, uh, which was a book that helped and inspired him called Shakespeare in Sable which is a compendium, essentially, of uh, the history of black actors in Shakespeare, hmm. which I was just really inspired by and awed by. And the rich histories and accounts in that book um, are really gripping and beautiful and horrid and hard um, and important. And uh, it has really influenced my work as a teacher of color and a teacher of students of color. And several of these students of color, as I mentioned perhaps earlier, don't always feel that they find their place in this work. And I think that the existence of books like that and the accounts of actors like Paul Robeson and Ira Aldridge and Raul Julia um, may help to ease that tension and bridge that gap, which is becoming my life's work it seems like mm. uh so those are some great some great reads yeah that's awesome great list i love that and what uh our last last question um we always ask people this is uh what's your unreachable star which is this you know a very cheesy reference to the impossible dream of something that you're aimed towards in the, on the horizon something you'd love to accomplish something you'd Wow. You'd like to manifest for yourself. Well, you know, that's a great question, but I find myself conflicted in it because I don't think that I would be an actor if I believed in unreachable stars. I think that what all of us have accomplished at this point to so many people is already unreachable. And here we are mm -hmm. doing it over and over and over again. But uh, I suppose what my unreachable star would be, would be, yeah, there it is. My unreachable <laughs> star, going back to my jealousy of Joe Carroll's gift. 
would be to play Cole House Walker yes. Jr. on Broadway. I want to Dude. do that so much. And I have to just quickly say this. When I was in college, I was convinced that I was the world's most serious actor. Like, I Same, was bro. all about Brando and Pacino <laughs> and De Niro. Same. I romanticized the, the struggle, all the O's. <laughs> I wanted to go to New York and sleep on pissy floors yep. and just, like, have to make it happen and yep. slip my wrists for this art. And I took myself to smoke packs, yes, Smoke man. cigarettes and wear and scarves. So seriously. <laughs> and a friend of mine who was the artistic director of the musical theater company on campus, she came to me and said, listen, we have this musical we're doing and we think you'd be great for it would you come and audition for us i said hell no absolutely not i'm a serious actor i don't do musicals she said shut the hell up you're being ridiculous come to the audition i said absolutely not she said how about this just come straight to the callback we know that this is a great part for you and what actor doesn't like being, you know, fast-tracked? And I was like, well, that feels good for the ego. <laughs> so I was like, okay, sure, fine. I'll go to the callback. But I remember going to my acting teacher and saying, Stacy, they want me to do a musical. And she said, what's the problem? I said, I don't do musicals. I'm a serious actor. And I'm saying this phrase repetitively in jest, or it seems like it in jest, but I really thought these things and said these things. She said, listen to me right now. She said, do you sing? I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I sing. And she's like, do you act? And I said, come on, you know I act. And she's like, well, what's the problem? And I said, Stacy, musicals are corny. Musicals are where corny people go to be corny. I just don't understand the world of just being in a scene and then suddenly I'm singing and dancing. It doesn't make any sense to me, Stacy. And she broke it down to me in a way that I'm sure both of you have heard a million times over. But as a junior in 2000, I had not heard it put this way before. And she said, you need to think of it not like that, but rather that your character is so filled up with an emotion that the only thing he can think to do is sing a song about it. When I tell you mm -hmm. the seas parted, <laughs> And I, it was just like the <laughs> chorus of angels singing the hallelujah chorus. And I thought that makes so much sense because I could ground that in something. That was like something a serious actor could get their mind around. I'm so in love with you. I'm so angry at you. I'm so exuberant about this thing that the only thing my body can do to express itself is to burst into song. It just clicked. Mm -hmm. And so I went to this callback. It was for a little show that I had never heard of called Ragtime, based on a book I'd never heard of. And uh, I ended up playing Cole House in my very first musical at Rutgers. And Boom. that is, this is going to tie us into our podcast here. That's when I fell in love with musicals. That is the first musical I ever loved. Mm -hmm. And it was important because I didn't know that I could love musicals. Mm. And I never turned back from loving them. I did one more after that, once on this island. And I've always just been in this pursuit, although not as strongly footed as it could be. I've still to this day have never taken singing lessons and I've never taken any musical theater class, but I've always been holding on to the hope and idea that like I could do a musical professionally or do one in New York. 
And if I ever do, I want it to be Cole House. Because what great acting opportunities exist oh, man. in that oh, yeah. part. What a man. role. My God. I would love oh. to see that. I think oh, it's super I think it's super relatable because I could I never watch it. old musicals it. because I thought they were corny. But we grew up in a time when I I was able to see Spring Awakening when I was in high school and, and we had you know, and there was rent and those shows were very clear to me that they and they weren't corny. They were mm-hmm. like dark and cool and I was like, That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> the antithesis of bye right. bye birdie right you know yeah it'll right. be the, like right you know but we all yeah. we all find that in our Let's, own way this has been so awesome steve you are oh, a joy so i'm so glad i now know you joe thank you for bringing him on the show this was just a huge value add for me for joe for <laughs> we everybody just, we get to talk to the professor Where can people find you in the world i'm supposed to have called you maurice and not steve i'm very oh, sorry it's quite all right for those of you listening and are confused, Maurice is my professional name. It's my stage name. Uh, I joined the union on that production of Julius Caesar back in 05. And to my surprise, there was already a Steve Jones and a Stephen Jones in the union. And so my first day of rehearsal, they put this name change form in front of me and said, welcome to Equity. You have to change your name. Uh, mm. And so I go by Maurice, which is my middle name. Uh, but it's only Maurice when it's professional, really. I'm Steve to all of you and all of you out there. <laughs> You're the greatest. I try to You're be. the greatest. Where, to. where can people find you? Are you on, on social you stuff? Know, or I'm not, not really? I'm not on the social medias, <laughs> you know? You I can just, find me uh, here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you can find me here on this podcast. You can find me at your, your local uh, tea house. Uh, reading roomy. You can find me riding. You can find me riding the A train, uh, doing the New York Times crossword puzzle, or hopefully on a stage near you soon. But no, I don't really do the social media, man. It's that's, uh, that's I, I I recognize it as a trap for myself, yeah. and uh, I'm a bit of a contrarian also. So because everyone's on Instagram, I refuse to mm. do it. Yeah, I just can't. I do did it, that right? with Harry Potter back in the <laughs> sure. day. Like, I remember when the Harry Potter books came out. I was like, I was like, oh, everybody's reading this stupid book. I'm not gonna read this book. <laughs> I read it. I read it four years ago, and I was like, this is the greatest thing oh that's ever happened. God. I don't feel that way about social media, but <laughs> you kind of do, Steve. You thank you. I kind of do. I kind of do. Yeah, Steve, man. thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Guys Who Like Musicals. We are now part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Woo! We are hosted by Dan Tracy. That's you. And Joe Carroll. That's me. We're produced by Ryan Kincaid, and Matthew Mucha is the social content manager. You can find us on Instagram at Guys Who Like Musicals, on Twitter at Musical Guys, or the old-fashioned way at www.guysholikemusicals.com. If you'd like a chance to be featured on the Ask the Guys segment of our show, please call 203-900-7990 and leave a message with your question. As always, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.